0: Hi there, everybody. I am Maureen Small, and I belong to the Eaglemont Christian Church family. So I'm one of you, and I'm here this morning just to share a message with you that that God has laid on my heart. When I was working on this message, kind of putting the finishing touches on, a storm developed outside. There was there was just wild wind and rain, and the sky was dark. When when it first started, I was outside. There was rain coming down, and I hurried up, got into the house, and I sat down in my favorite room to work on my message. And although the storm was raging out there, I was actually enjoying it. I was really enjoying just watching the storm. But I was enjoying it because of where I was. I was in my house, in my favorite room, where it was cozy and warm and dry. If I'd still been outside, it would have had a very different feeling about that storm. You see, how we weather the storm depends a lot on where we are in that storm. Psalm 46 is what we're going to look at this morning, and it has a lot to say about both how and where we weather the storms of life. The physical storms, yes, but also the emotional and the spiritual storms. So the first thing we're going to do is just read through Psalm 46. I'm reading from the New International Version. It starts off by saying this, For the choir director, a song of the descendants of Korah to be sung by soprano voices. I do not have a soprano voice, so I'm not going to sing it today. I'll just read it for you. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar in foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Come, See the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and and snaps the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. The psalms are poetry, often set to music, and I find sometimes I get a little bit lost in some of the word imagery and the repetitive phrases that poetry uses. It's hard sometimes to get the main points and understand what the whole psalm is about because it's so poetic. So one of the things I do when I read a psalm is break it down a little bit. After reading it all the way through like we just did, I go back and I look at it section by section. You'll notice if you're reading it on your phone, like I was from a Bible app on my phone, um, or often in a printed version in your Bible, there's some lines, blank lines, between every couple of verses, breaking it down nicely into sections for you. So my th- idea, what I do, is go back and read each section, and then I kind of put it into my own words. What is the main point here? What is the psalmist saying to us? What is God saying through that couple of verses? Write that down, and at the end, when you finish the whole thing, you can go back and look at the phrases that you wrote down that describe each section, and together see what is the theme, what is the main point that we're trying to get across here, and that we're supposed to be learning from this. So that's what I'm going to do this morning with you: is just walk you through this psalm, section by section. We're going to look at what the main theme is for each of those sections, and see how does that end up as a main theme for the entire psalm, Psalm 46. Well, the place to start is not with verse 1. When reading a psalm, you need to look at who wrote it. Now, not every psalm has written at the top who wrote it, but many of them do. We tend to think that King David wrote all the psalms, but that's not true. There were a few other people who also wrote psalms. This one happens to be written by the sons of Korah, and they wrote several psalms that are recorded in our, our Bible today. Who are the sons of Korah? Well, first of all, we need to understand that biblically speaking, sons doesn't always mean that first generation of children the way we think of the word son. It can mean descendants. And in this case, that's exactly what it means. We learn about Korah, the descended, the father of all of these descendants, back in Numbers 16, so several generations before the psalm was written during the time of King David. Korah was a man who lived when the Israelite nation was out wandering in the desert before God brought them into the promised land. During that time, Moses and Aaron were appointed by God as the leaders of this nation of Israel, and they were the ones that were leading them physically through the desert, but also spiritually leading them in this time. Korah and two of his friends and 250 other followers of them all joined together and rised up in rebellion against Moses and Aaron. But ultimately, they're raising up in rebellion against God's leadership. And they were saying, we don't agree with God and who God has placed in leadership over this country. And they did it without consulting God and saying, what does God think? Does God want these people in leadership in this country? And so they rose up in rebellion and God's response to the rebellion after giving them an opportunity to repent, was that the earth opened up. Korah and the two men who were with him in this rebellion and all of their families were swallowed up by the earth and died. Well, somehow, some descendants, some sons of Korah survived that. Now, we don't know. Maybe they were too young to understand what was going on with this rebellion. Maybe they were older, but they were uh, old enough to resist and say, I don't agree with my dad's rebellion against this leadership that God has placed here. Whatever the case, we don't know, but God spared some of his descendants. And in time, these descendants rose up to be musicians and worship leaders in the nation of Israel, and they were very instrumental in the time of King David and in leading in worship and in song and in music in the nation of Israel. These descendants were the opposite of what their father, Korah, was. They supported the leadership that God had placed there, this king, David, and they supported his leadership and and were supportive of him. So when I read that, that, that first tells me two things. One, we need to be very careful. We are not supportive of leadership that God has placed over a nation as well as over a church. We need to be sure that we are hearing from God and that we are submitting to him and saying, God, what do you think of this leader? Is this who you have put in this place? Before we open our mouth to say a word to anyone, we need to be very careful of that. And secondly, we can recognize God's mercy his grace and his redemption in this story. You don't have to be defined by your family and how you were raised and what they may have done or, or not done well, not even by your own past and the choices you've made. We are new creations in Christ, and this is what the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 5.17. You are a new creation in Christ if you have placed your trust in Jesus as the leader of your life and the forgiver of your sins. So you're no longer defined by your past or by your parents or your other uh, family of upbringing, their past, whatever they may have done. You are in a creation in Christ. And we see that redemption story right here in just that little bit of who wrote Psalm 46. It's a great place to start, but let's move on to section one, which is verses one to three. So let's look at those verses again. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and mountains crumble into the sea. Let the waters roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. Well, I'll give you the theme of this section before we break it down. Instead of being afraid in natural disasters, we can turn to God for help and strength. Now, it's I put COVID in the same category as a natural disaster because conspiracy theories aside, COVID occurred naturally, and it is out of human control. So we'll include pandemics with earthquakes and floods and all these things that the Bible is alluding to here. It's easy to say, don't be afraid in the middle of an earthquake or a tsunami or a pandemic. Just trust God. He's there to help you and be your strength. But you know what? It's very natural to feel fear when the ceiling is crumbling in over your head, when you're running for the hills to get away from the rising water, or when a loved one suddenly comes down with a respiratory illness. It's natural to be afraid in a natural disaster. That's the way we're created in a sense. But what do we do with that fear and how do we manage that? That makes the difference in whether we are living out our lives the way God intends us to or not, whether we're trusting him or not we need to dig a little deeper to find the help and the strength that God promises. And some of that goes back to thinking about what is it that we're afraid of? Ultimately, I think we're afraid of dying. Maybe not so much afraid of our own death. If we've trusted Jesus to be the forgiver of our sin, the leader of our life, then we have no fear of death. We know that the instant we die, we are in heaven with Jesus forever and it's wonderful and glorious and we have no reason to be afraid. But I think sometimes what we're really afraid of is how our loved ones will feel if we leave them behind, maybe especially if we have young children at home. That's a scary thought. I think also we're really afraid not of our own death, but of the death of people that we love and how that will leave us alone in pain and suffering in our lives, living on this earth without them. Ultimately, those are the things that we are afraid of. And we know that that's that's natural, because statistics tell us that when natural disasters happen, generally people die, and our life experience tells us that some of those people are Christians. So it's not that God protects, and and His help is not in the sense of stopping this bad thing from happening. And even in Psalm forty-six, the sons of Korah acknowledge that they said, "Let the mountains crumble, let the waters rise." It didn't sound like the kind of help God is giving is preventative. He's not stopping the disaster from happening. But what he does do is become our refuge and our strength. A refuge is a place of safety and a place of peace. But it's something you have to choose to enter into. You walk into that refuge. And God is our strength. He's the one who gives us what we need to continue through life, no matter what this world throws at us, no matter what pain we experience, no matter what fearful things come our way. He gives us the strength to continue on and to walk with him through the painful times. Christians often talk about the hope that we have in in Christ or in Jesus. Hebrews 11.1 tells us that in the biblical spiritual sense, Hope is an absolute confidence that something is going to happen because God said so. It's not just a wishful thinking. It is an absolute confidence because God said it will happen. So what exactly is this hope that we have in Jesus that we talk about in times of crisis or in the middle of a pandemic? What is our hope? Is our hope that Jesus will stop the bad things from happening? Is our hope that we will not die from COVID, our loved ones will not get it. Do we have hope that nothing bad will happen to us because we are in Christ? No, that's not the hope that the Bible promises. But what it does promise is that our life on this earth is temporary. Our eternal home is in heaven. We have the hope, our ultimate hope is in heaven. That's where We will live for eternity. We have to remember that our time here on this earth is but a blink in God's big picture of the world. This is just a very small part of it. And he is here to walk with us as our strength, to be there as our refuge, because this life is painful and there is trouble in this world. And Jesus said that there will be trouble, but he's there as our strength and our refuge in the midst of that. So our ultimate hope, is that we will be in heaven one day with, with God. Now, that hope is only available if we choose it. And how do we choose to go to heaven? It's by trusting that the death of Jesus on the cross was the payment for our sin, for all the wrong things we've ever done. And if we just trust, Jesus is the Son of God. He died on the cross for my sin. He's the one that paid the price so that I don't have to go to hell. I don't have to do, you know, live eternity away from God. Jesus paid the price so that I can go to heaven and be with God safely in eternity forever. If you have made that choice and said, Yes, I believe that and I accept that Jesus is my the payment for my sin. His death was the payment for my sin. You are a Christian. You're in the family of God. And when you die, you go to heaven. So we need to keep our focus as an eternal focus. That the life is not consistent of what's happening here on this earth. But our life consists in heaven. And that here on earth... We have the strength that we need from God. In verses 4 to 5, the sons of Korah remind us of this, this promise, this ultimate joy and hope that we have an eternity with God. In the Old Testament times, Jerusalem was sometimes referred to as the city of God. And we hear the sons of Korah here talking about the city of God. Well, that can refer to Jerusalem itself. But from the rest of the Bible, we also learn that Jerusalem is a symbol of heaven for all of us. And so heaven is called, is referred to as the new Jerusalem, and it's also called the city of God. And in this passage in in, um, Psalm 46... It says that this city of God will never be destroyed, that God protects it. So we know that he's talking about the eternal city of God, heaven, not the earthly Jerusalem city. So this is something that we have the promise of, that there is joy and there is hope in this city of God. And they remind us of that, to keep our eyes, keep our focus on our eternal destination rather than on the troubles that we experience here in this world. Verses 6 to 7 acknowledge another way in which God remains in control, even when it doesn't look like it around us. Read verse 6. The nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. Does that sound like our world today? Utter chaos. Utter chaos within nations and, and countries against countries. You know, there's so many different thoughts being shouted at us, so many opinions that we're we not even sure what to think anymore. It makes my head spin. Just when I think I know what I believe and where I stand on something, along comes another protest, another uprising, another point of view that makes me question what I actually do think. It's chaos, utter chaos, sometimes in our heads as well as in this world around us. But what does the psalmist say happens in the middle of this chaos? God's voice thunders. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Amongst all the noise, all the voices, all the opinions that you can read or listen to, God's voice thunders. Not a quiet whisper this time. It thunders through the chaos. He's speaking loudly to us. If we'll only take the time to listen, just to hear him, to ask for his voice, rather than taking guesses at what we think is right and what is wrong. He's speaking to us. He is here. In the chaos, he is here. He's our fortress, our safe place, and our refuge. But we need to make the choice to enter that fortress. When I was outside in the rain as the storm was starting, I had a choice to make. Was I going to stand out there in the rain, or was I going to go inside my house? Now, first of all, I had a house that I had permission to go into. It was my house. Well, the bank probably owns most of it, but you know what I mean. I have the keys. It's my abode. I can go there. Whether you're renting or you're living at your parents' house or a friend's house or wherever it is, there is a place that you have permission to go to, and you have the authority to, to walk into that house. So I made the choice, first of all, to walk into that house. And then, secondly, I made the choice to sit, to relax, to be calm, to appreciate what was around me of the warmth and the safety. God is our fortress, but we have to make the choice to enter in. We do that in two ways there, too. First, we have to have the authority to enter into his fortress. We have to have permission. How does that happen? That's where trusting Jesus as your Savior gives you that permission. You're become a child of God. It's your house. It's your fortress. God is your father, you can just walk in that door. And you can be inside where it is safe. But the other choice that we have to make is on a daily basis. We choose whether we are going to stand outside in the storm, even though we have a fortress we can walk into, or we can choose to walk in to listen to God's voice through the prayer that we have, through silence, just being quiet in His presence and listening. What is he speaking? What is he saying? What thoughts are coming to your mind? What brings peace and calm? Those are the thoughts of God coming to you to minister to you. We enter into that fortress through our choice to read the Bible, to soak up the words of this love letter that God left for us, and to just bring that into us. We choose to enter the fortress of his peace and safety when we praise him, when we worship, when we open our mouths and say, God, you are wonderful. You are my protector. You are my strength. You are my help. You are here. You are not just the God of the armies of heaven. Think about that, the armies of heaven, but you are my God. And this is my fortress. And I am here, safe with you. You are here for me. In the midst of the chaos, the utter chaos and the out of control nations of the world and the things that are happening, God is here and he has a fortress for you to enter into. Verses 8 and 9. Come, see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction on the world. Wait, what? How is bringing destruction glorious? Well, let's read on. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear and burns the shields with fire. Do you see it? Do you see how God's glory is in his control throughout the history of the world? He brings destruction when destruction is necessary. And he brings peace when peace is necessary. He is in control of the world leaders that rise to power and those that fall. And this is why we need to be very careful how we speak of the leaders in this world and how we interact with others when we talk about them. Just as the sons of Korah learned the lessons from their father, we need to be very careful that we're not speaking against who God has placed in control in this world. He is the one who ultimately has control of all world events. And we don't always know what's going on, do we? We don't understand the why. And, you know, we can't. Our view of time and space is so limited. We get a little bit of a glimpse of how God works when we read the Old Testament. It covers thousands of years, a thousand years or so, a couple thousand, something. <laughs> but you've got this face of time where you can read back and you can say, oh, now I know God why God did what he did in this situation. Sometimes there's hundreds of years in between. He did this, didn't make any sense, but years later, oh, we see. Sometimes it can be years later where he says, I am doing this because of this that happened back there. Now I am responding to that by raising up this leader, bringing destruction, bringing peace, whatever it may be. If you think about the people who lived, though, in those times in the Old Testament, they were in the middle of the pain and the chaos and the fear. And they didn't know what God was doing, they didn't see the big picture any more than we can see the big picture right now. But reading the Old Testament gives us a glimpse of how God works. It gives us an idea of how he is constantly in control. He's constantly working world events around, both through natural disasters and through the kingdoms of the world, to bring about his perfect will, his perfect plan for this earth and for mankind. And we are each a part of that plan. We don't always see it, but we're right in the middle of it. We have a role to play. But what is that role? How do we know? What are we supposed to do in the middle of a natural disaster or an uprising in a country or the protests or the things that that frighten us? What are we to do when the world is in chaos? Hmm. Verse 10, be still. Be still and know. What are we to know? i am god how do we find god's plan be still we are to be still enter that fortress that refuge that quiet place where we can hear the voice of god and we are to know know what that he is God. He is in control. The next verses say that he will be honored in the, every nation. He will be honored throughout the world. Now, we sure don't see that right now. If anything, it seems that God is being dishonored in many ways in, in this world that we live in. But God promises that he is in control and he will be honored in this earth. He will be honored throughout the world. It will happen. He is in control. It's still part of his plan. He's working it out. And we're just a small part of that. And our job is to be still and to know that he is in control. We can be still because we are in the refuge of the fortress. Remember, how you weather the storm depends greatly on where you weather that storm. Are you outside the fortress, outside the refuge? Are you inside, inside with God where He is keeping you safe, where you can be still and you can know that he is God? As we look back at Psalm 46, we can see the sections come together, the themes come together to bring us to this. God is our refuge, strength, and fortress in the midst of disaster and chaos. We have the hope of heaven. No matter when or how we leave this earth, we have the hope of heaven. God is always in control of world events and will one day be honored throughout the world. All we are asked to do when the world is in chaos and when disaster strikes is to be still and know that he is God, the God of heaven's armies, is here right now. Take a moment with me to pray, to walk into that fortress of safety and peace, and be still. Let's pray. God, thank you for being our fortress and our strength and our safe place You are there to help us if only we ask. God, I know that help doesn't always look like what we want it to, but it's there, and I thank you because you do give us the strength that we need to get through whatever situation we find ourselves in, if only we'll turn to you. For each person listening to this today, I pray your peace. I pray that each one would make that choice to walk into your fortress of safety and peace, to be still, to wait, to listen, to hear your voice and to feel your strength wrapping around them, holding them up. May we know God, may we know that you are in control. This is all part of your plan. Every bit of chaos and craziness that's out there in this world, you are working it together. You bring redemption. You never let anything go to waste. You will bring it all to your good and your glory when you are glorified everywhere in this world. We thank you for your power. And we thank you that we have access to that, that we can just walk into your presence, walk into your fortress, and be there with you, have your strength, your peace, and your safety around us. Thank you, God. May we each this week walk in that peace and walk into your fortress and just rest and be still. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.